All right, so you guys ready to continue our series here as we look at aliens and strangers, First and Second Peter? Are you guys caught up? Are you reading? Overall? Okay. If you're behind, you can catch up real quick. They're not very long. But uh, just like we started last week, you know, one of the commands that stuck out was, Be holy. Well, it was amazing as I, as I read through the second week, another command stuck out again, one that we probably don't really think about. And so it's the command... Be prepared. You know, if, if, you, if you ask the worship team, they didn't just come up here and go, hey, let's put this together. They were prepared. Yeah, it takes some work, right? I mean, would you want your doctor to be prepared? Yes. How about your lawyer? You want them to be prepared? Your accountant? Right? You want, you want them to be prepared, right? It's funny, we understand that in so many other arenas. But what about in our spiritual journeys? Are we prepared? We find the passage in 1 Peter 3, and I'm going to read the second part of that verse first, and I'll come back to the beginning part of that verse here in a minute. It says, always be prepared. Man, the Bible, it just takes standards like to a whole new level. It's like, it's like the one that says, not just be humble, it's be completely humble. Here it doesn't just say, be prepared. It's always be prepared. To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, the Greek word there that is translated prepared is often in other translations also translated ready. Are you ready? Now, when you're discussing about being prepared, you have to discuss two categories. Okay? The first one is preparing for the expected. Okay? That one, a little bit easier to prepare for, right? It also means you have no excuse. Okay? If, you're, if it's expected, you have no excuse for not being prepared. Okay? I have a great example of that in my own life of how, well, man, if you're prepared, man, good things happen. You know, as you know, I was a former runner, and in high school, I wasn't that good, actually. I got better near the end and eventually got scholarships. But as I started off, I was like the slowest guy on the team. But, you know, I was improving. But one of the things you do with cross-country, because you go to different courses every week, you have to make sure you know the course, because it can change year to year. And so it's important to get there early enough to walk the course. Yep, even the 5K, you got to walk it, and then you're going to run it. So you got to be in shape to do cross-country. But a lot of my teammates and even some other teams are like, oh, no, we've run this course before. They didn't go walk it. But I'm like, no, I'm going to go walk it. I want to make sure I know where the turns are. Little did I know, later on in the race, and I'm not in the front. I'm like mid-range, mid almost near the back. But I get to the certain point, and I notice that no one's in front of me anymore. I'm like, where did everyone go? And I see dust going that way, but I go, but I know when I walk the course, it should go this way. So I go, I'm going this way. I won the race. They all got off course. And I'm like, how did I win the race? Like, I was prepared. I was like, I come to the face, I'm like, I what? I want, what? Why is it taped it? What? Be prepared. Now, I have to be honest, there's the other side where I wasn't prepared. Uh, there was a time it was a track meet this time. And, you know, you're waiting on the field, and you're waiting for your race. They go, okay, 1,500 meters, come on. So I run up there. I throw, put it on my, my sweatpants. I wasn't prepared. I forgot my shorts weren't on underneath. Yeah, that, that wasn't good. So they kind of gathered up. They threw me some shorts, put it on, and they shot the gun, and I ran. But, so, so I've been on both sides, being prepared and not being prepared. Let me just tell you, a lot less humiliating when you're prepared. Okay, just, just saying. Now, the other category, a little bit tougher. 
preparing for the unexpected. That's going to take some creativity on your part. you got to imagine every scenario. Good, bad, ugly. Because some things just you can't prepare for in the sense of knowing exactly. And yet, the Bible still commands us always be prepared, which means it includes the unexpected. So what does he mean? Because if it's unexpected, how can I prepare? I believe what he's saying is, you may not be prepared of what to do or not to do, what to say or not to say, but you can prepare to have the right attitude regardless. That you're going to trust me, that you're going to be loving, that you're going to be faithful, no matter what comes your way. Are we always prepared? I know I can speak for myself. No, I'm not always prepared. Things that are unexpected, particularly inconvenience, oh man, that just, that just gets me. I'm not always prepared to have a good attitude with that one. I've had to work on that. I'm hopefully getting better, especially with school starting back up. You know, when kids want to come in and you're in the middle of focusing, like, okay, am I prepared to be giving in that moment? Always be prepared. But I think Peter understands that there's a principle that you have to begin with if you're going to be prepared. Let's go back to the beginning of the verse and look what he says first before saying, always be prepared. First Peter 3, verse 15, the beginning of the sentence. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Some other versions, because this helps, says, but set Christ apart as Lord in your hearts. That's the NET version. But honor the Messiah as the Lord in your hearts. The HCSB version. The New Living Translation, instead you must worship Christ as Lord in your life. And the CSB version, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. See, I don't think we can be prepared without lordship. Especially for the unexpected. But you see, if you truly have Jesus as Lord in your heart, your mind, your soul, your beliefs, your actions, then even when the unexpected comes, and you may not know what to do or what to say, you still know Jesus is in control. He is Lord of my life. He will not tempt me beyond what I can bear. He gives me everything I need for life and godliness. I'm not in this alone. I have Him, His Spirit, the church, the Word of God. And we can be prepared at least in attitude to trust Him regardless of the scenario. See, because you've got to remember that Peter wrote this amidst a larger context of this chapter and actually the letter of itself. The entire purpose of this letter was written to Christians who were suffering physically and through persecution. And some of them were, were like, why is this happening? Was, this is unexpected. And, and basically the is saying, it, it shouldn't be unexpected. Anyone who seeks a godly life will be persecuted. Don't be surprised at the trial. That's what he says in the letter. And that in the midst of that suffering, it says, always be prepared. They can't be prepared for everything that was going to happen to them, but they can prepare to trust God with everything that was going to happen to them. And so I ask us, are you prepared? As we read the rest of this chapter in chapter 4, there's kind of two specifics that he asks us to be prepared for. The first one is, prepared to answer. Let's go back to verse 15, the second part of the sentence. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
Now, what's interesting, some translations actually say, prepare to give a defense, which has led some commentaries to believe that this is referring to Christians being brought before the courts. And it's understandable because we actually have written correspondence, just a generation from the time of Peter's letter, where the governor Pliny and the emperor Trajan were talking to one another about Christians being brought before courts to defend their faith. However, I don't think that's what it means. But it is interesting. The Greek word here that's translated answer or defend is apologia. Now, we don't understand the proper term of that in Greek because we think apology as, oh, I'm sorry. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian, I believe this. No, no. apology means defense. Apologetics Is that saying, I'm sorry for the history of the evidence of God? No. It's saying, I have a defense for why I believe in the existence of God. Apologetics. Apologia. Now, now I understand why a commentator might think that this is about a legal situation. But, if you look at the verse closely, it says this. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. If it was meant to be illegal, it would have said... Be prepared to give a defense to every accuser. Okay, but that's not what it's saying. It's saying, be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks. Now, what's challenging about this command, the, the explicit command, the direct command is, be prepared to give an answer. But you know what the implicit question that is behind this? Do you even have a life worthy enough for someone to ask? Do you even have enough faith, enough hope, enough something in your walk with God that they stop and ask you? Because there's a difference. That is a challenging question. And you know when they're going to ask that most? Not when everything in your life's going good. It's when you have hope, when you have joy, when you have peace in trials and tribulations and suffering, they're going to go... Why do you have peace in this situation? You should be like stressing out. I don't get it. Or why are you not bitter at what he just did to you? Well, why are you still so loving when you've been treated this way? Like, it's only in those moments that our life is truly going to be shown that Jesus is Lord. Because we're not just reacting in our emotions. And it doesn't even mean you have to be perfect. You could actually do this with your weakness. But people go, wow, you're so honest, so vulnerable but I see that you genuinely want to be different. It doesn't mean about being being perfect. This, I believe, is the most challenging scripture of evangelism we've ever read. Because, to be honest, guys, most of our evangelism is about us asking. Do you notice who's the one asking in this? Not you. It's the world asking. It's your neighbor asking. It's your family members, not a part of the church, asking. It's your classmate. It's your coworker. It's a complete stranger. Seeing you, how you act differently, and want to know why. It's why I love our church and I love our small groups. It's like when visitors come to our small groups and they go, how do you guys all know each other? Like, you're all different races, different ages. Like, man, teens talking to adults, adults talking to teens. You're like different... Uh, like, how do you guys know each other? Funny you ask. Because of Jesus. That's right. 
Guys, in other words, if we're really doing evangelism right, we don't actually ever have to share our faith. People will ask us and we give them an answer. That's the kind of life we need to have. This is way harder. It's much easier to plan out a few minutes a day to go and share my faith and I'm done. No, this demands that all the time, in fact, when it's the hardest, I live a life where Jesus is Lord and my hope is visible. Right. And they want to know why. This is way more challenging. How important is hope? How important is a hope that just can't be unnoticed? Well, already in this letter, three times Peter talks about hope. Let's look briefly at him. 1 Peter 1.3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Guys, I know we have this eternal hope, heaven, an immortal body, but we don't have to wait for hope. We actually have it right now, too. Not the fulfilled hope, just like we don't have a fulfilled grace yet. We have grace, but not the full grace yet. We talked about that last week. We have a hope, but not the full hope. But we have a hope. There's something right, right now that we can grab onto even in the darkest of times. And that's what the Mohicans did. You know, it's funny. They look at themselves much worse than we looked at it. We, we didn't see, see it as being as bad as probably they felt it was. Because I saw hope in them for even asking for help. Right. I'm like, right there, it's going to change. And they put in the work to see it change. Because there was a hope. See, it's not being hopeful doesn't mean you're righteous all the time or that you have no sins or no weakness. It's actually the opposite. That even in sin, in weakness, you still have hope despite it all. That's what makes a difference. That's what's noticeable. Uh, people need to see our weakness more. Our evangelism already would improve. But make sure you share your weakness with hope. Not pity parties. That's not going to encourage anyone to come want to join you. But man, if you're sharing tragedy and suffering and trial, but there's still this gleam in your eye, this joy, this hope, that doesn't make any sense, this peace that transcends understanding, they're going to go, I feel like that too, but man, I want to be with you because you seem to be able to have something to get through it. That's what He's calling us to. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. See, that's that future hope of that fulfilled grace. Do people see that in us? How you view people is going to reveal whether this is true to you. If you look at a person when they've hurt you and you go, that's it, it's over, then you don't have this hope. Because if you have this hope, you're going to believe that anyone can change. Even the ones who sin against you. You're going to believe it. 1 Peter 1.21 Through Him you believe in God who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him, and so your faith and hope are in money? No? Uh, are in your career? Uh, your family? Your relationship? Uh, your physical prowess? Your looks? None of those things? So your hope is in God. That's why we can have something even in trials that's strong. Because if you put your hope in all those other things I said, when suddenly those things go bad, where's your hope? Only God is eternal. Only God is consistent. Now, it doesn't mean you don't still suffer. It doesn't mean that sometimes there's still mysteries and somebody's going, God, what are you doing? 
We have those questions. I know we all hear that passage, He'll never tempt you beyond what you can bear, but I've questioned many times, I think you think too highly of me. <laughs> you know, have you ever felt that? Am I the only one? You know, like, God, maybe you have a higher view of me, uh, but He's God, so I've got to trust Him. I've got to have a, maybe a higher view of myself in God. And we need to have a higher view of one another in God and have that hope. What is your hope? Can you describe it? Is it visible to others? This is a completely different kind of evangelism. You don't do the asking. You do the answering. Wow! But you know, Peter does give us some guidelines in how we do this. And I think it's important to address those. So as we are living our life, hopefully loud in Jesus, so it's visible, it's noticeable, we got to also make sure we're not self-righteous, that we're not condemning. You know, the reality is a lot of our evangelism is more about showing them where they're not at rather than sharing with people where we're at with God. Because according to this passage, the focus isn't them, it's us with God. That's a lot better evangelism. That's more inspiring evangelism. It's funny how sometimes even in studies, it's like we're condemning someone to make Jesus Lord rather than inspiring someone to make Jesus Lord. There's a big difference between those two. So let's see these guidelines. Let's continue in verse 15 of chapter 3 of 1 Peter. But do this, giving your answer, with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So three things Peter gives us is we're going to give our answers. We're prepared to answer. We've got to take these to heart. The first one, be gentle and respectful. I have erred in this so many times. You get with someone, they share their life, and immediately you're thinking where they're wrong, where the doctrine's off. And we get all aggressive about our conviction because we feel like, man, they're mocking God. Where's the gentleness? Where's the respect? They are given free will by God to think differently if they choose. We've got to be able to respect that when we talk to someone. They may be wrong in their doctrine, but you've still got to be gentle and respectful. You're not going to convince anyone by badgering them. You're going to convince them by loving them. We've got to respect people's different views especially if we want them to respect our different view. I mean, here we're calling them to to listen to us, but we're not listening to them. That's not good. Now, that's not saying we water down the doctrine. That's not saying we don't hold to our convictions. It's saying that as we hold our convictions, don't forget they're people. They're not a project. And we need to show gentleness and respect. I have to work in this area. Because, man, when when false doctrine hits my ears, I, I get like crazy. And I just I have to learn to shut up, to be honest, and just listen. And remember that I was there one day. That there was a time I believed all the wrong stuff. And someone was gentle and respectful enough to, to pull it out of me, to let me get it out, and then show me Jesus. Show me what He asked, and then I go, oh, I'm wrong. They didn't have to tell me I'm wrong. They showed me, and then I admitted I'm wrong. A lot different, right? Yeah. The second one. Keep a clear conscience. Well, what does that mean? 
It means that people can see a hypocrite a mile away. Are you trying to share good news that you aren't even living yourself? You're going to kill your testimony. You're going to kill your evangelism. This particularly happens, and I hate seeing it, but it's when, and this is a real challenge, some of our singles, for example, they want to have a relationship. They don't feel like they can find it in the church, and sometimes it is hard to find in the church. And then Satan sometimes puts people in there from the world. And I'm not here to judge whether they're a Christian or not, but, but the problem is, is I've seen too many people in, quote, justifying I'm reaching out to this person, but suddenly their boundaries drop. They start being, being impure. They stop being unwise. And yet, oh, but, but I'm bringing them to church, I'm bringing them to church. So what? And what I, what I try to help them to see, but they don't listen, it's okay, you bring them to church. Let's say then they come, they're moved by the Scriptures, they see God's standard for purity, and then they'll realize, you weren't doing it. So now they'll go, I do want to be a part of this church, but I don't want to have a relationship with you because you're not living it, you're a hypocrite. I've seen it over and over again. Guys, we have to have a clear conscience. It doesn't mean to be sinless. Admit your struggles. But the point is, when you're in sin... You have a soft enough conscience that you go, uh-oh, I need to confess. I need to repent. I need to get in the Word. I need to get brothers or sisters in my life. i got to change. And I'm willing to talk about it because, man, I want to live differently. Amen. That's what it means. Guys, where's our conscience at today? Because the problem is, it can come a point where your conscience gets seared and you don't even care anymore. That kills your testimony. I don't care how many times you go knock on a door. If your conscience isn't clear, your message has lost all its power. We've got to remember this, as Peter said. But third, and this is a hard one, as you give an answer, not everyone's going to like your answer. Not everyone's going to respond accordingly. You might even be persecuted. You might even be physically struck because you stood up for your faith. And that's why it says, be willing to suffer for doing good. Guys, it hurts when you invest your heart, your time with someone and then they spit on Jesus. They spit on you. Was it wrong for you to do what you did? No. Free will. They have to make the choice, but you did what God called you to do was to give an answer. Whether they become a Christian or not, that's on them. But it's amazing how we can get discouraged and that's why He says, guys, be willing to suffer. For doing good. Because guys, when we give our answers, not everyone's going to like that answer. And we need to be wise with that. Amen? Amen? The second thing that we find in this passage in chapter 4, we've we got to be prepared to answer, that's your words. But see, God wants more than your words of faith. He wants your actions of faith. And that leads to the second one. We've got to be prepared to love. Look at this passage in 1 Peter 4, verse 8-11. through 11. Above... All. Okay, let's stop right there for a minute. This is English, but it's actually a good translation from the Greek. When you hear above all, what do you think before we even know what comes next? Whatever comes next is of greater priority than anything else, right? I would be amazed, if we were honest, what we think should come after above all. Well, above all, we got to give. we got to give contribution every week. Above all. Above all, we got to worship. 
Oh, above all, we got to be in our Bibles every day. Above all, we got to bring people to church. Above, like, what, what do you put after above all? And we've made mistakes in that as a church. I'll just admit it. What should come after above all? Well, I'm not going to give you the answer. Let's let the Lord give you the answer through Peter. Above all, bring people to church. Does it say that? Above all, give your contribution. No, it doesn't say that. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Above all. Yeah, okay, well, what does this mean? This love covers over a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean love forgives by itself. Love doesn't do that. Jesus, through his sacrifice and, and what he did on the cross, is what brings forgiveness. His love brought forgiveness, okay? Well, that's just loving doesn't excuse us of our sin. But what love does is when someone sins against you, if you have love above all, then no matter how many times they sin against you, you love enough to forgive them every single time. And isn't what that God does with us? That's what it means. It doesn't mean that you just love and that excuses you from your sin. No, that's not what it's saying. But saying when we do sin, love allows us to even cover that up and continue in our walks with God and with each other. Above all, love. You know, we had a, a leaders meeting not so long ago with our city group leaders, and you know, there's always this thing, okay, what's our theme this year? What, what are we going to focus on this year? And you know, I was like, I could give you a theme, I, I could tell you what I want us to do, but I was like, above all? I think it's this simple. You want to know what the three things I think we need to do as a church? Love God, love one another, love your neighbor. If that's all we do this year, I have a feeling a lot of people are going to ask us, why do you believe what you believe? How do you have the joy that you have? Why do you have this hope no matter what? Like, if we just love, above all, I think we'll be amazed at what happens. But he wants to make sure that when he says love... You're not getting this theoretical love or this Disney movie love or this feeling in love. He wants to get very real. This love involves both actions and attitudes. It's not just some ethereal love. It's got to be real. So he goes, offer hospitality. Offer so, you're not giving it when someone comes over. You're actually inviting them over to offer it. When's the last time you invited a brother and sister into your home? Offer hospitality. When's the last time you invited a stranger into your home? Offer hospitality. Now, if you're not prepared, you won't do it. If your house is a mess, you won't invite them over. So, don't forget that other part. You've got to be prepared. Offer hospitality. But then it adds this. To one another without grumbling. So we got the action, but we also have the attitude. Teens, your parents probably say this. Hey, take out the trash. Fine, I'll take out the trash. Did you obey this command? Yeah, I took out the trash. Yeah, you took out the trash, but you grumbled. And if I recall from the desert wandering, grumbling doesn't seem to very, be very popular to God. Now, I'm amazed because we have so many servants in this church who do things week in, week out, and I don't hear them grumbling. Now, maybe they are when I turn my back. 
Okay, I don't know. That's between them and God. But I'm amazed at how much we can do without it. But guys, it's the attitude is as important as the action. And let me just say, even if you don't grumble the words, facial expressions show grumbling. Okay, just saying. Like they go, take out the trash. That you're grumbling. Okay, it may not be voicing it, but you're grumbling. It's very visible. Okay, so we got to have both. Above all, shows the priority that love needs to have in us being prepared for both the expected and the unexpected in our life. See, I may not be prepared for what I'm going to do with an unexpected event, but I can be prepared to love in that unexpected event. Right? But that's going to take some effort. That's going to take some work. So right actions, offer hospitality, and right attitudes without grumbling. Now then, Peter adds a very important element. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have Receive to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, if anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do with the strength that God provides, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You want to know how to be prepared to love? Use your gifts. Because the reality is, You'll love a lot easier and a lot quicker if you're loving within your gift. It's a lot harder to love if it's not your gift. Doesn't mean you shouldn't still love if it's not your gift. We have our responsibilities and then we have our gifts. But here's the cool thing. We all have different gifts. We all have the same responsibilities as a Christian, but we all have different gifts. And the reality is, guys, only together can we show the world what love looks like. Because we're using our gifts. The key, though, is do you know your gift? I don't know, Dara. I don't know what my gift is. Then just serve. Serve somewhere. You'll learn quickly. You go, okay, I'll join the worship team. But if your voice is off key, it may not be your gift. No hard feelings. We love worship God, sing off key from from there anytime you want. But to be up here, you kind of need that gift. Okay? So what do you do? Serve somewhere else. If you just keep serving, trust me, you will discover where it's easiest for you to love. Where it's easiest for you to show the world the hope that you have in Jesus. We've got to help each other. Ask each other, what do you think my gift is? The reality is most people can see your gift usually quicker than you can. It's visible. And that gift is needed. Every single one of you is needed by God. So the world can ask us, Who are you? Why do you love like this? How do you have this hope? Who are you? Where do you meet? That's the kind of life we want to have. We've got to be prepared to love. So what do we learn today? Yeah, we learned last week we need to be holy. But we also have to learn to be prepared. We've got to learn to be prepared to answer. In other words, our words. Our words convey the message. But we also have to be prepared to love. Our actions deliver our message. So what I want to do, since we got a few seconds here, we're still early, I want us to practice this right now. I'm not going to let you go home and go, maybe this week you'll practice it. I want us to obey this passage. So what I'm going to do is give us a few minutes, and I'll come back and close with one final verse and a prayer, is I want you to at least ask one other person, what's the reason for the hope you have? And I want you to answer at least one other person, 
What is the reason for the hope you have? Let's do it.
And you guys can continue this conversation afterward. We're going to be dismissed here in a few. But I have to tell you, if I was a stranger walking into this room right now, I'd be going like, who are you guys? Like, you guys are like excited about something. Like, it was fun watching your faces as you're kind of like, okay, let me see, what's, what do I hope for? Like, at first you're kind of like, uh, and then you started talking and smiles started to come on your faces. It got louder. It got more passionate. I was just like, watch this going, I think I might just let this go and walk off and see you guys next week, man. I was like, I mean, it was a buzz that happened. I mean, how did you feel from your seats? Was that cool? That's what evangelism should be about. Is us just talking about how God is so amazing in my life? And I want to share it with you. But you won't have to because they're going to ask you. And I bet there was different reasons for every single one of us. And that's what's so amazing about our God. You know, it's not just Peter that thought that these principles are being prepared. Paul agreed with them. So let's close with a passage from one of the letters of Paul. Colossians 4, verse 5-6. through You're going to see the same thing here about being prepared to answer... And being prepared to love both actions and attitudes and how we interact with each other and with those that we want to be a light to. It says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. You can still say those hard things from the scriptures. So that you may know how to answer Everyone. Guys, let's be prepared. Prepared to answer with our words and prepared to love in our actions. Let's go to God in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Lord God, it is amazing just hearing, and I'm sure for you it brought great joy to know what your son and what he did, how it changed people's lives. To hear the hope that they have because of Jesus, because of his word, because of the gift of His Spirit, the wonderful encouragement of His body, the church, and God, just the incredible purpose that we have, that we can wake up every day, even in our struggles, even in our trials, even in our temptations, and still know that we have a clear purpose. It's to love you. It's to love one another. It's to love our neighbor. And we may not always do that correctly, but we have grace. And we can change. And we can be better prepared to give that answer, and to show that love. God, I pray that this week, we're not going to focus on what we have to do. We're just going to focus on what we need to be. And we're going to love you. We're going to love one another. We're going to love our neighbor. And I can't wait to hear the stories of classmates, of neighbors, of co-workers, of family members, and even our children, and yes, even complete strangers, going, hey, can I ask you a question? And God, we will have an answer because of the hope that we have in Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.